Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Exercise should be prescribed, right? You go to your doctor, they tell you all these things wrong, and then they give you some medication, then you leave. No, I want them to sit and chat with you. I know I live in this like dream world, but... What about if doctors could prescribe exercise? Well, here we have a fantastic MD who I'm a huge fan of, Beth Frady's MD. She is trained as a physiatrist and a health and wellness coach. Okay, Dr. Frady's, welcome to the show. And now you have to tell us what is a physi physiatrist. You got to say it. Yes, yes. <laughs> we'll spend the what whole is show a with me. Physiatrist, exactly. <laughs> and yes. I love the specialty because it is a relatively new one. It really came into existence after the World War because our soldiers were coming home with amputations, spinal cord injuries, traumatic brain injuries, and there was no one available to take care of them in the long term. It's really how our specialty started. So physiatry, also known as physical medicine and rehabilitation, is the area of medicine that specializes in trauma to the central nervous system or musculoskeletal system. So what does that mean? Trauma to the central nervous system to the brain, so a traumatic brain injury, a stroke, or to the spinal cord, spinal cord injury. And then when we get into musculoskeletal, that would involve amputation. And it could also involve knee pain, hip pain, back pain, elbow pain. And the specialty really breaks down into two areas. Those that are involved with say, non-surgical orthopedic-type injuries and those that are involved with the central nervous system processes such as stroke, traumatic brain injury, uh, spinal cord injury. And my area, you may know this, Lisa, uh, initial interest was stroke. And, you know, I want to mention that you're uh, also a health and wellness coach and you work in something called lifestyle medicine, which I'm a huge fan of. Tell us a little bit about lifestyle medicine and then let's jump into this whole idea of physicians writing exercise prescriptions. And then I want to get in the nitty gritty of how much we should be exercising. And, you know, a lot of the shows here on, on Talk Fitness today are really about like people who already work out and how to build more muscle mass and should you be doing bodyweight exercises versus weight training versus this. But I want to get just like to the basics for like... Like the everyday person too. Okay, terrific. And this is all connected. So fortunately, we started with physiatry, physical medicine and rehab. And in that specialty, we actually write physical therapy prescriptions, which is another way of writing an exercise prescription, but it's yes. specific for a stroke survivor so or a traumatic injury uh, survivor. Out of this area came lifestyle medicine or really my interest in lifestyle medicine to help people prevent strokes. So lifestyle medicine is even newer than physiatry. In fact, really it got on the map in, I'd say, 2006 when our national college, American College of Lifestyle Medicine, started. And lifestyle medicine is the area of medicine that works with our lifestyles meaning our feet, fingers, and forks, meaning how we move with our feet, mm -hmm. 
what we do with our fingers, and that's hopefully not put cigarettes in them, prevent putting any kind of cigarettes in our fingers and puffing, and then our forks, what we eat. It stretches beyond those three Fs, feet, fingers, and forks, and goes into stress resiliency, sleep, and social connection. To, to Those are our six pillars, but specifically exercise. And the exercise prescription and physical activity as a vital sign has gotten a lot of attention in our field of lifestyle medicine because there's so much data to support the fact that exercise is as good as, say, 10 or more medications. You probably know this, Lisa, and probably a lot of your listeners know this, but exercise can help with cholesterol. It can help with blood pressure. It can help with glucose monitoring if you have diabetes. It can lower your glucose levels and increase your insulin sensitivity. It can help with depression, can decrease depressive symptoms, and in fact, increase serotonin, which is what a lot of antidepressant medicines do, can lower anxiety levels, and it can lower stress. It can also help us with our body composition, and it can help us in terms of our uh, interest in sex, and it opens up blood vessels, which is helpful for all of our organs. And it, uh, if you think about that, already we've gotten probably 10 medications there, but if you're interested in stroke, it helps prevent strokes by increasing something called fibrinolysis. That's the ability of the body, the blood, to break up any clots can also increase our metabolism. It increases the number of mitochondria in your cells, which means you will have more energy because mitochondria are the powerhouses. They're the, the workhorses. They're, that's how we get energy through our mitochondria. And when we get involved with exercise and routine exercise, we can increase the number of mitochondria. So exercise is hopefully going to be prescribed, like you said, when you go to your doctor's for an annual visit. You will leave with an actual prescription because it's that powerful. And that's what we promote in lifestyle medicine. Do you think that will ever happen, actually? (laughs) Do you think that the paradigm will shift enough that they actually will do that? As long as there's people like you who are are MDs, who are in lifestyle medicine, Mm -hmm. there's hope, right? Yes, there really is hope. Now, One thing that has changed, and hopefully you you have noticed this and your listeners have noticed this, physical activity is supposed to be a vital sign. So not only do you check your weight, your height, uh, your blood pressure, your heart rate, these are vital signs, but we also ask patients, how often are you exercising? What are you doing? What intensity is it? You, You ask about exercise. So that's supposed to be a vital sign. May I ask you, Lisa, if your doctor has yes. ever asked you about exercise? I think so. It's mm-hmm. been a while, but I I mm-hmm. think he has. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. he just assumes I have because I'm mm-hmm. in the health field and I'm in pretty good shape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think he's asked. And that's good. The thing about assuming, though, is yes, this is probably good for your listeners, too, in that. I know they're probably very athletic, as you said. You're thinking about which type of exercise is best for you. But what we'll all admit to, and I love exercise, have always, quite frankly, it is my own 
stress reliever that I, I can use and I use through medical school at Stanford. I'd be run every single day and it, it got me uh, through. Um, it's also great for cognition, focus, creativity. So um, there's so many reasons why uh, I personally use it as, as my own kind of self-medication um, and, and, and also why I promote it uh, so much. But um, for people who love it, like you, like me and many of your listeners, we also have some times in our lives where there's stumbling blocks, where there's obstacles. For me, it happened when I had my two boys and I was writing a book, my Life After Stroke book. I really was feeling overwhelmed and I wasn't able to get out and do my jogs. And it definitely affected me. Um, physically, emotionally, um, everything. And um, I think when I went to see my physician that year, I was hoping to brainstorm with her about what I could do. But instead, she assumed, like I guess your physician's doing, that I was exercising because I had for so many years. But you really can't make that assumption because things change in people's lives, and we have to be open to that. So I would say, hopefully... You, next time you see your physician, you'll have a good conversation about your own exercise routine. Um, and, and I would invite listeners to bring it up with their physicians and, and say, well, you know, I I'm, I'm want to start exercising or I want to start high-intensity interval training. Do you have some, some ideas? Can we, can we talk about it and see how that goes? Because if the physician cannot talk about it, then perhaps they need to come to one of our continuing medical education courses <laughs> and learn a little bit more about it. But by the patients bringing it up, they can help push the system forward. Supply and demand, oh, right? Well, the truth is, if there isn't a box to check for insurance to cover, so for example, I think we should have PADD, P-A-D-D, as a diagnosis. What's that? Physical Activity Deficit Disorder. So once we oh, give it like a, a, a disorder or a, you know, a, a title, then we can check it off on a box for insurance to cover it, and we can counsel on it and get reimbursed. Why do I mention that? Because physicians are overworked, overstressed, and under-reimbursed right now. So sometimes physicians avoid these conversations because they think it will take extra time and they won't get reimbursed. So if we can make it something that gets reimbursed, you know, there is something called sedentary behavior. Have you heard of that term, Lisa, and do you know what defines an individual that is sedentary? Have you heard of that one? I've heard the term, but I don't know what exactly defines it. So tell right. us. So we could use that, which means yeah. someone falls into sedentary category, if they're not actively, routinely exercising 30 minutes, three days a week for three months straight. So some listeners may, may fall into that uh, category. Um, and that means you have a risk factor for heart disease. That's clearly uh, understood by American Medical Association, uh, cardiologists. We know sedentary behavior is a risk factor. So. Hopefully, it will get to the importance level 
where we are able to, again, get reimbursed. Um, because I think that will influence how the physician practices. Personally, as a health and wellness coach, as you mentioned, I talk about exercise all the time. In fact, I walk with my patients um, when we have visits together. Right now, you may wonder if I'm huffing and puffing or what's going on with me, but I'm on my exercise workstation, and what I have is a, um, a stationary bicycle, and it has... Uh, attached to it, a laptop space. So my laptop is right in front of me, and I am actually bicycling while we talk because today is a tough day uh, in terms of work uh, for me to actually be able to get outside and and get some activity. Oh, that's so funny because I have a uh, treadmill desk, but something's not working on it right now, or I Mm -hmm. usually am walking, but really slowly. Otherwise, it makes too much noise. (laughs) Right. "Mm -hmm." Right. But well, that's this, awesome. Yeah, I wouldn't even know if you didn't tell me. I was going to say, can, can you hear mine or, or did you notice my breathing? Uh, I was, you know, you were speaking at a, now that you mentioned it, because we've spoken <laughs> before, your cadence is a little, <laughs> I was like, hmm, I thought you were just being a little extra slow. <laughs> Not right, slow, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, completely. So I, I needed to uh, explain that to you. Um, but hopefully that answers some of the questions. But what else can we dive into? Well, I'd like to know more just like a basic mm-hmm. exercise plan for people sure. starting yep. and how much is enough. And yeah, just good. Okay. So what, what we recommend for physicians to do when they're writing an exercise prescription is to write fit prescriptions. What does that mean? F-I-T-T. So you would help the patient determine the frequency at which they would exercise, how many days a week. The intensity, will that be low intensity, moderate intensity, high intensity? Then the amount of time that they'll exercise each session. And then the last T is type. What's the type of exercise? And one might argue that's the most important part of the prescription is what's the type because you've got to do something that's fun, that's fun for you so that you feel motivated to go out and do it. That's the key. But looking at the prescription, what we're striving for, what research has shown us, researchers, um, physicians, different exercise physiologists reviewed about 8,000 studies, probably eight years ago now, and they came up with guidelines. So for your health, we're striving to achieve 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity in one week. Moderate intensity means you can talk, but you can't sing. I'm probably at moderate right now uh, where I'm I'm easily talking to you, but I probably can't sing. If I could sing, I would be at low. If I couldn't talk at all, I'd be at vigorous. And for those listeners that enjoy vigorous physical activity and exercise, to get uh, maximum health benefits, you can do 150 minutes of vigorous intensity exercise in the week. If you're going for regular, just try to get as much, try to get health benefits, not as much as you can. The as much as you can is 150 minutes of vigorous, but you could do 75 minutes of vigorous and be getting your health benefits. Notice that's half of what I said for moderate intensity. I said you need to accumulate 150 of moderate intensity. Now, 
to get maximum benefits, the research shows 300 minutes of moderate intensity exercise in the week will give you maximum benefits. Now, can you go beyond that? And aren't there really healthy athletic people, especially professional athletes, that go way beyond these guidelines? Yes. Yes, that is true. Is there too much exercise? Yes. Research has shown that multiple marathons in one year can take a toll on the heart. So on the heart muscle, as well as on the arteries. So is something to be careful about. But the, the, the dose, if we're talking about a prescription, the dose that we're really looking for for health is 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity in the week or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity in the week. And then if you can go more and you want maximum benefits, you'll double that. So you'll do 300 minutes of moderate or 150 of vigorous in the week. Does that help? Yes. Now that's a mix of cardio and some sort of weight training, whether it be, you know, body weight exercises, lifting weights, using bands, using, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great question, Lisa. So that is for cardio. On top of that recommendation, we would like people to do two days of strength training. And that, that could be with weights in the weight room. It could be your own body weight. could be the bands, kettlebells, whatever you would like, um, but two days a week and on non-consecutive days. Uh, now, of course, you could do them on consecutive days if you're working your upper body one day, lower body the next day, etc. but not the same muscle two days in a row because you want to wait and let that muscle recover. So it's actually the strength training is in addition to the 150 okay. minutes of moderate or 75 of vigorous. And then if we're really trying to be balanced, we're going to do flexibility exercises. Mm. Now you can do stretching after a workout and work on the flexibility that way. And if you, if you do something like yoga, you know, you could get cardio, body weight, strength training, flexibility, and even balance all in one activity. Because a lot of times people hear, oh, I have to do the cardio, I have to do the uh, strength training, and now they're asking me to do flexibility and balance. That's so much. But you can pick an activity where you get all those different types of exercises wrapped up into one. Yeah, I just started doing yoga after not doing it for a long time. And, oh, it kicked Mm -hmm. my butt, and it was all of those. (laughs) It's everything. (laughs) It's great, isn't it? It is. It is. It's hard, but it's great. It is really great. And I've been doing Pilates for years, which yep. I'm in an intermediate. And I'm telling you, that's pretty hard. It's mm-hmm. not hard. It's intermediate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think it's, it's important to hear that you were doing it, then you stopped, then you got back to it. You were doing Pilates. I mean, we change. Quite frankly, when I was in college and I was in medical school, I really thought yoga. Who does yoga? Who has time to go to a studio for an hour and a half and do this. This is not for me. And it wasn't until after kids and really looking for stress reduction uh, that I started it and I fell in love with it. So I did not do yoga really until I was, say, 35. I'd never done any, any yoga. So we change. We evolve. And so, so do our preferences for exercise. 
I just want to say this has been so much fun. Dr. Frady said time goes by way too quickly. Tell us all the ways we can learn more about you and all the great work you're doing. Oh, you're so kind, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I am on Twitter at BestFradiesMD. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, BestFradiesMD. To learn more about Beth Frady's MD, please go to her website, BethFradiesMD.com, B-E-T-H-F-R-A-T-E-S-M-D.com. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. I hope you got as much out of the show as I did. I feel so lucky to talk to so many incredible people to help you live your healthiest life. So please rate, review, and subscribe, and never miss an episode of Talk Healthy Today.